Welcome back to another episode of Quarren Stream, yet another Cinesnob podcast. I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And rejoining us, uh, comedian, uh, podcast host, uh, radio host from New York City, Andy Fiore. <laughs> Andy, welcome back. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, so um, we've been, you know, we're here in the quarantine, just like everyone else. You're in the epicenter of it in uh, in New York. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What's it been like? Uh, this being my first quarantine, it's been, uh, it's been hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a really kind of scary thing when you're around so many people. Um, I'm trying my best to stay home. I've been doing a pretty good job of it, but, uh, I imagine just like anybody else you can only do that for so long before you start going a little batty. So uh, this weekend was the first time I actually, you know, saw some people and hung out with some friends. We were, we were outside, we we're at a safe distance, but it was uh, really the first gorgeous day out. So a lot of people were itching to get outside. And I got to be honest, it looks like the parks were crowded, which they were, but I was impressed that even within their groups of people, people were apart from each other. So, oh, oh, here? I mean, you can only ask people to do this for so long before it's just going to, you know, everybody's going to go crazy, but you know, it's I'm trying to keep busy with my radio show and podcasting, and uh, obviously watching movies and TV shows. So, uh, I mean, in that regard, it's it's not the worst thing that I've ever had to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I'm working from home. I, I miss stand up immensely, but uh, it does kind of feel like you know, like a long kind of summer vacation when you're like a little kid. But uh, you just you're old and you. Can't talk <laughs> here in Austin, we've got a bunch of uh, like lake parks, and those dipshits are all on top of each other. Like, there's right, no right, social right. distancing. There's a bunch of college kids just crammed together. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. I'm trying, uh, you know, to go to like the grocery store once a week, so I don't have to spend as much time and as little time in public as I can. But uh, you know, it's tough. You know, we're such social creatures, and my whole world was based on being social and yeah. stand up and radio before this. So it's tough, man. It's been an adjustment. But like I said, I, I mean, thank God we have the technology that we do today. I mean, can you imagine if we were, you know, by candlelight and having to read? <laughs> or, or shit, even just VHS tapes. Like, oh, I, uh, yeah, I watched all 40 of the movies that'll fit on my bookshelf. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we were saying last week, too, that, you know, it's like you guys, we you picked up two other extra podcasts to do during this yeah, thing, so. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I honestly, I've never been in more contact with, like, my friends from college in my entire life. Like, we talk once a week now. We have a group text every day. And so yeah. I, all my friends were, like, you know, not that it was ever a sour note, but, like, we talk more than ever now. Yeah, and it's so much easier to do, you know. with the. I mean, we talked about this last time, too, is everybody on Zoom. You know, I mean, shit, my, my niece is using Zoom to take dance classes now. I mean, I don't even... I've gone on Zoom dates. What? What's that? I've had a Zoom date. Really? Oh wow! You? Yeah. So you went on a Zoom date? I. You know what? It was a girl I met uh, at the Comedy Cellar in New York City right before the quarantine, everything shut down. Oh wow! So we were a little friendly, and then I had a headlining show, and she hit me up on DM. She was like, "Hey, I don't think I'm gonna be able to make your show, but uh, I, you know, I want to come one of these days." And I was like. At the time, I'm like, oh, if you don't make it, let's maybe we can get a drink sometime. And then, and then the world ended. <laughs> so, holy shit, um, we kind of just kept talking. And I was just like, hey, do you want to uh, do a Zoom hang? So we've done two, and I think we're we're on for this week again. That's kind nice. of incredibly awesome. Big third date, Cody. That could get you back in the dating scene. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well <laughs> here's the thing. Why not? I just like I reached out to some girl who started following me on uh, Instagram. I thought she was cute, and I was just like. Hey, I don't know how you do this. I think you're cute. My name's Andy. <laughs> and now we've been talking back and forth. Oh, so wow. Like, what the hell do you have to lose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, shit. The, you're all stuck inside and the world's maybe ending. Who knows? And, and you know, <laughs> might as well just uh, just hit him up on the DMs. And uh, that's how that's how Cody and I met. So beautiful. <laughs> I, I kid. Um so, <laughs> so one one question I was I was thinking about because I wanted to kind of dive into one thing that we've been doing uh, with our previous guests, um, Jerry Rocha and Eddie Pence, is, is kind of getting into some, into really honestly interesting conversations about the state of stand up as it is now, and and just you know you had mentioned that, um, you know since you've been doing it, this is the longest time that you've ever gone without 
you know, performing. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's, it, how, how often were you performing, um, prior to all of this there? Uh, essentially nightly. Right. And, and that's, and that, that's kind of the sense I, I've always gotten about New York at least is that almost nightly you're, you know, you're out there doing a set somewhere. Um, yeah. so I have to imagine that just the entire shift of culture has to be jarring completely in, from that standpoint. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, luckily I have, uh, I have another job, which is in radio. So that's kind of keeping the lights on, but, uh, like you said, I miss it so much. And yeah, New York City is a is a comedy is a stand up city where there's you know ten clubs in Manhattan alone. So it's not irregular for me to go out on a Monday night and have two or three spots even um, mm-hmm. at minimum one. So that really just you know the first week it was kind of. I have, I've had weeks before where you, you take a day or two off and you go, all right, that's a nice little break. But then like anything else, and this is a dumb analogy, but it makes the most sense. It's like if you stopped going to the gym for two months, like you're going to lose those muscles and that, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. you, so it, it's one of those things where I was trying to remember jokes the other day and I couldn't go through some of them in my head because it had been so long. And I was, the good thing is though, is that, with the free time, I've started – the floodgates have opened for me for writing. So I figured I'd take this time to start to outline a new album because to get to your question, when this comes back – and I, I'm an optimistic person. I do think we will get back to some sorts of – I don't think the world's ending. I think we will get back to some sort of normalcy eventually. But if we have to do this for a little while, so be it. But I do think that stand-up comedy is going to be one of the things that is going to take the longest to come back, obviously, because of the circumstances. That being said, it's going to be impossible not to talk about your quarantine experience. And I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. I mean, you don't want to whack people over the head with the same topics over and over again. So I was just trying to find a really unique – my my personal experience. And I finally started – to find it this last week. And then I really just got on a roll. The dominoes started to fall. So I started outlining a new album that hopefully in 2021, we can uh, record it somewhere live. And I, I think in that regard, it's been a very creative time for people because you have no other outlet. Um, the bittersweet thing about it is that you get excited about writing a joke and you go, God, just want to go tell it to people. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So, um, Hopefully when this is all over, it'll just be like, I don't want to be not like a renaissance of comedy, but it'll just be like all this new creativity will be out there. And you guys mentioned it like, you know, we started doing three podcasts a week now. Yeah. So in that, that's like one good thing I think you can take of it is that people have adapted creatively to this really well. Um, and even if you're having some sort of negative experience, you know, you usually turn negativity to art. I mean, most of my jokes are based in like heartbreak and, you know, right. being a, you know, so it's like you just twist it. And that's been a, that's been a thing i've been able to deal with uh in the quarantine and, or a, a coping tech mechanism if you will and we, sorry that was long no no no. Uh, we've been talking about how um you know it, it's kind of lowered the bar for uh people to be able to get into to doing this stuff is that you know used to be there'd be no way you would have recorded your radio show over zoom but now because of the circumstances you know the audio quality is not up to par or whatever it's not an isdn line like most you know, radio shows have, uh, you know, there were someone's remote and it, it's allowed everyone to just sort of focus on the content as opposed to the presentation. And I think right. that's an interesting development that's going to come out of this because my, my day job is in TV news and, you know, we're doing interviews with people over Skype and it looks like shit, you know, compared to what we <laughs> yeah. had before, but it it's still doing the job and no one cares. So, yeah, have we have we crossed over into this point is what I wonder that, you know, this sort of kind of like how like filmmaking had this barrier broken when personal computers. uh, God, look at me like like I'm a 90 year old personal computer when when (laughs) when like when you can edit a, a movie on your laptop, you know, at home how that kind of democratized filmmaking and, and birth YouTube stars and all this stuff. Has it, sure. has it become like, you know, Hey, I can get an interview with 
uh, you know, all I got to do is reach out to this guy who lives across the country. And I can say, hey, man, I like your stuff. Want to talk to me about it on a podcast? And it's it's easy. You know, you don't have to set up a an interview somewhere at a, a you know a club or a radio station. You can just do it. And I think yeah. that's hopefully that's kind of one of the things that's going to stick with this is that people are just going to be accessible to create across distances that that were previously thought to be barriers for quality, I guess. Absolutely. So uh, 100%. I yeah, think people uh, are going to, you know, even once this goes away, hopefully that, you know, this I mean, Zoom and, you know, all these different platforms are really going to be looked back on as be like, oh, yeah, that got us through the quarantine. You know, we were able to communicate. We were able to just even even in a, a non podcast, just like hang with friends, yeah. you know, on Zoom chats and stuff like that. So I think that element will stay. I think now you'll you know, because my college friends that we all live, you know, in different states and before it would take an event like a wedding or, a you know, a, something, a birthday for all of us to get together. And yeah, you'd like be on a group text, but now it's like, hey, every Friday night, let's all see each other literally face to face, but in a, a Zoom chat, you know, I think that will remain. Yeah, I, I really do hope so, because it's been it's it's been kind of eye opening to see just how many people are willing to talk to one another in. And I don't want to sound like some kind of uh, sap, but, you know, when when it was just kind of reserved for texting and social media and stuff, when, you know, you see uh people having zoom happy hours and shit like that that's yeah. i mean it's just great like you're you're literally drinking at home and looking at a computer but it's you're still <laughs> socializing uh it's it's just it, it i i'm fascinated by how quick it took hold yeah it really was cool i really uh especially with someone who works in radio uh the way that you know Sirius XM if i could just give ourselves an own our own plugs I mean, it took us maybe like less than a week and a half to really be up on the Zoom and to mm -hmm. get the audio. I mean, we we had all our, you know, mics out to all our talent and everything sounds as good as it's going to sound. Yeah. Given the circumstances. Well, I, I don't so, I don't know if you're 2020. Uh, what's that? I said it's this 2020. It's oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you've got cutting edge technology, but you've also got this crazy fires we've never seen before it's like <laughs> uh i don't know if you if you watch snl at all um they did that first episode in a while they did the first episode where they were all basically on zoom um and it was an interesting experiment and then clearly the second episode they did from home they clearly sent out like high higher uh quality production gear to the staff right. uh, to the cast and it it lost a little bit of the charm because yeah. it was yeah that's fun better produced but uh, I, I have a question on the subject of Zoom. So, um, so earlier today, I was actually watching a live stream from uh, the Laugh Factory in LA, and it was comedians doing like twenty-minute sets to an empty comedy club. Jesus and, Christ! Yeah, and 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 the only people watching were people like commenting online. There was no—I mean, you could hear some comedians laughing in the background, but. There's, I've noticed that that's starting to pop up, and then also people are starting to do Zoom stand-up shows where you can hear the audience, but it's you know you're still performing to your computer. I'm just curious to yeah. get what your take is on on the idea of performing in like a virtual setting because just watching that video, it looked like a nightmare. Yeah, I haven't done one of those yet, and I'm scared to because there's nothing worse than bombing live. I can't imagine that feeling is being any better being alone in a quarantine. <laughs> you know Man. what I mean? Um, it looks so like a it looks like I a brutal open mic, like a late yeah. Open seriously, mic. I can't see how between the lag time. I mean, it's such a it's such an art form. I mean, literally, there's catchphrases about how timing is everything. So you really need that element to be as as pristine as possible for to make stand up work. So I don't know. I've been really reluctant to do those. Like I said, I haven't. I I've been enjoying just like you know, doing podcasts and being in Zoom, like the Comedy Cellar show does uh, kind of their live from the table every night. And yeah. that's fun because that's a Zoom hang and I can be with three other comics and we can just kind of, you know, riff and go crazy. And I think that's probably as good as it's going to get for me. I just don't, it just seems so contrived when you do these, these virtual stand-up shows because it's such a give and take with the audience and the live element that 
Well, it, it's, it just seems too painful personally for me. And I mean, I, you know, not to not to obviously there's a lot of, um, you know, environmental elements, too, is that, you know, people are coming to a comedy club expecting to be entertained. Absolutely. You know, when you're sitting on your couch watching a Zoom video, it seems like that's a tougher nut to crack. Like, because I, I think we're all guilty of it. Like you watch a really funny movie. You're not necessarily laughing out loud when you're watching it by yourself. But if you were to watch right. it in the theater you know, that laughter becomes infectious and, and you, would, you would pass, you would catch that and pass it on. I, I just, man, it just seems, it seems Careful so with catch that and pass it on. in these. Yeah, I, yeah I know. You gotta, <laughs> that's the kind of virus you'll want to catch. Uh, but it seems like it's just like you're throwing it into the void for nothing. Um, and man, yeah, it seems, so. it seems brutal to me. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that's why I've stayed away. It, you know, if, it, if someone wants to try it and, and give it a crack and, and they, feel like they can do it. I mean, more power to them because it just absolutely it, it's just not for me. Yeah. Um, so you uh, you mentioned um, uh, doing stand up in in New York. What I assume you've done a, a handful of touring. Did you ever kind of regularly do stand up anywhere else? Like you said, you went to uh, when you were in college. Were you doing it there? Yes, that's where I started, actually, at the Comedy Cabaret in Northeast Philly. Um, it was an open mic that I went to, uh, almost every Wednesday of my senior year, starting, uh, about a month after nine 11. <laughs> Perfect time for I, comedy. Uh, so I, I had always just been such a huge fan of stand up, and I went to a stand up show that my girlfriend at the time's uncle was in. He's still a comic, John Kensel, mm-hmm. uh, in Philadelphia. And afterwards I was that kind of naive kid where I was talking to some of the guys. They were really cool to us. We were seniors in college and I was just like, man, I, I always loved stand-up so much. I always wanted to try it before. And they were super encouraging. They were just like, yeah, come on down. Uh, they were like, hey, man, if you come and you think it's something you want to try, we have this open mic every Wednesday. So I went like three times before I ever got up just to watch and see what it was like. And then I got the bug, man. I just got the the itch to do it. And I... I started there, and once I graduated, I'm from North New Jersey anyway, so I live about uh, 45 minutes outside New York. So, uh, mm-hmm. besides being a comedy club in North Jersey, New York seemed like the obvious uh, answer. So that's basically where I've done the most of my. Uh, that's where I came up essentially, and that's you know where I learned stand up is definitely is New York City. Um, and then you know once you start touring around the country. Uh, it's funny to see what plays in New York, what doesn't play in New York and what will only play in New York. Yeah. So, mm. so, so it's interesting. Uh, how long have you been in, uh, with Sirius XM? Since 2012. Has that kind of, um, cause you, you've, you've done, um, kind of, you've worn multiple hats there as a producer, um, and yeah. now as a host, has that helped you, um, with your, your connections with your networking? Um, sure more so than, than actually working the clubs or you, would you say it's about the same? I'd say it's helped more. Um, but there is nothing like hanging out at the comedy clubs and getting to know the comics that way. But, uh, it's definitely let me meet people that I might not have met prior to that. Mm-hmm. So I will say, you know, obviously, you know, doing stand up and being present is the be- in the clubs is the best way to still, you know, earn your stripes and, and get out there and network. It's super important. Um, sometimes people are better at networking than actually doing stand-up and they get a lot of things that way. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's just, like I said, I, I might not have met certain people like, uh, Nick DiPaolo. I wasn't very close with who I think is one of the funniest standups ever. And I started, uh, executive producing his show is why I left, uh, the bonfire. Cause I had this opportunity but uh, then we <laughs> toured for a couple years together. So it was a thing where I probably wouldn't have gotten close with Nick without that, you know? Yeah. He kind of um, – how long did that show last before he had the controversy? Not even a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were on the road actually when he – I mean not to, not to bore everybody with the backstory, but he just kind of sent, sent off like a, a kind of school shooting – at that time when that was really happening too much in this in the country. And uh, so I guess it was kind of a poorly timed tweet. He took it down, but I think 
I think, in my opinion, that they were looking for uh, an out uh-huh. to maybe not renew his contract because it, it was coming up on a year where he probably um, rubbed some people the wrong way politically. <laughs> and, right. Uh, Nick's never been one to back down from a fight. Rightly so, and he shouldn't have. But um, I think that was maybe their springboard to say, "Hey, we're not going to renew your contract." That's my opinion, but I, I think that had a lot to do with it. Do Do you think that um, you know Cody and I have talked about this kind of off air, but the sort of um, like culture around um, judging comedians by their jokes? Do you think that that this sort of scenario has? made a, a turn has has created some sort of turning point or you think it might sort of go back to there i don't want to i don't know if i want to call it it's cancel question, culture actually. but you know the the idea that that the joke can be taken kind of literally and used to you know oh tor- torpedo someone for for better or worse do you think that that's gonna pop back up or is do you think maybe we've gotten past that i unfortunately think it will pop back up but I do think it won't be as bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I just think when something like this happens, you kind of take a step back. You go, yeah, all right, there's more important things in life than getting offended at a joke. You know what I mean? Right. So lighten up. Like a Nick DiPaolo school shooting joke. Like, I mean, you think about that now. Like, I, I mean, I don't I don't know. Well, I don't know the context of the joke, but, you know, it doesn't seem like it's something that would be kind of uh, talked about for weeks and weeks. Even sure, even sure. in the comedy scene, but yeah. Um, uh, you, one other thing, you also you worked with Larry the Cable Guy, right? Yeah, I still do actually. Oh, I you still do. Of, uh, I produce and co-host his uh, weekly show every Friday. What's What's he like? That's kind of one of the biggest <laughs> enigmas I've always wondered because he's he's obvious. You know, it's a character, obviously. Sure, but yeah, but is he is he on all the time as the characters? Or when you're talking to him, is he just Dan Whitney? Yeah, he's Dan Whitney when he, I mean, he does the show under the moniker Larry the Cable Guy, but he drops the character, actually, when we do the radio show. We do. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's a very, very sweet guy. He's very funny. And that was something that I had, you know, this preconceived notion going in. I was like, you know what? Listen, I appreciate any comic who's been as successful as he is. He's just not my cup of tea. He has made me laugh on from the stuff I have seen, but you know it. And then I got to know him, and it's just like, oh, this guy—he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. He has maybe more than any other comic, without any prompting, offered to help me with anything. He goes, "If you ever need anything in this business, I know it's crazy. Please don't hesitate to ask." Wow. So I asked him for a car, but other than that, <laughs> <laughs> he's- uh, no, he's uh, super funny. Like he's a comic, man. Yeah. He is a uh, he's a comics comic like you know he does I mean if you were worth you know his money too you'd fucking do a character as well I, I mean know. shit I have no you know I have it's not my cup of tea either I have no animosity toward anyone who's making their money doing however they of course whatever not. they can and get away then you, right and then once you get past that you actually say oh this guy you know it does have a comics mind and he's super funny and he's really quick and he's a really good guy he's a very sweet guy. I've been lucky enough to like go out and uh, work the Funny Bone in Omaha the last couple of years, and we every time I'm there, he lives in Lincoln. He he goes, you got to come down, bring bring uh, you know anybody from the club to uh, the Nebraska. We go to the Nebraska football games. At the, at the, oh yeah, yeah, it's really fun. But he's a great guy, and he loves he loves comedy. He loves talking to comedians about comedy. And Nick DiPaolo, speaking of which. Uh, Larry is on record because he's my favorite comedian of all time. Wow! I, I yeah. just you mentioned the the Nebraska game. I I remember that video. Was it two years ago or so? Where he broke that guy's arm arm wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Holy <laughs> shit! Dude, crazy. It was like a veteran too. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that, Cody? No, I didn't. That, oh, it's they're, nuts. It, they're just arm wrestling and and Larry's winning, and it, he just ends up breaking this dude's arm. Like it's not. Yeah, like it's a ba- it's like a snap. It's yeah. like oh, it's hard to watch. It's just an accident. Clearly, but it's but like he, that's another great thing about him. He he really he supports the troops and he brings vet like that's his he's got a suite in the in the stadium. Yeah, he lives he Lincoln. lives there per, all full time. Yeah, right? he, he lives in Lincoln. He's a huge Nebraska fan and he's he's very generous, man. He's a really, really good guy. I have nothing but good things to say about him. I mean, I still don't like cars, too, which he's kind <laughs> of the star of. But, you know, I, I get it. And, and 
I mean, it's not, uh, it's, it's interesting that, you know, there's like how much of it is a performance because not a lot of comedy, I think is that sort of persona, right? Like Dice, sure, sure. like Andrew Dice Clay is a persona that he's kind of grown into, uh, cause he wasn't always like that when, I mean, he's got early right. stuff where he's not the, you know, the, the mook from wherever he's supposed to be from, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, yeah. You know, I, I just I'm, I'm curious how that I, I'm just it's fascinating how that kind of sticks for some people and, and doesn't for others. Like, like yeah, a, I mean, I, I give him a lot of credit, too, because he's a one liner comic, which is a lot harder to fill time. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, he's God, he's got to be so rich. Just so, so rich. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, that's like that's a it's a guy. I've I've had those memories and thoughts sometimes. Like, uh, I've been working with comics that I idolized when I was, you know, in college or in high school, and then you start to get to know them, and you have I I at least I have I've had that thought of like I never would have thought this you know would have crossed. Here's a non comedy one that SiriusXM has brought me. When I first started working there, I was kind of doing part-time like board operation, like engineering. Mm -hmm. And they needed somebody to work for Lance Bass's show, the guy from Insane. Oh, yeah. It's his birthday today, and, I uh, saw. Yeah. So I ended up kind of, for whatever, you know, uh, whatever happened, I started doing that full-time, being like his full-time producer and board op. And at one point, I was in L.A. doing comedy and – he was just like, why don't you come over? I've got some friends over at the house. <laughs> so wow. he's like, bring your swim trunks. And like an hour later, I'm in the pool with like three guys from like the L.A. gay men's choir <laughs> and the guy from NSYNC. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't think this would ever happen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's got a, a, a gorgeous house, too. It's a. It's actually like very like subdued. It's nothing too extravagant. You're like, all right, Lance. He's a very sweet guy too. Very cool. Very down to earth. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it uh, was just so funny because I had that moment in the pool where I was like, I never thought this would ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I got to meet uh, Joey Fatone a few years ago. Um, nice. I mean, he, and he was he's a super funny down to earth guy. And um, this was heard that this was when I was I he was on a uh, one of our. Uh, uh, our daytime talk show we had and he was um promoting a cooking show or something he had and you know this is like five years ago so he's well past the in sync level of fame yeah and um as i i walked out of the building and there were three girls across the street like with signs like waving you know for him and i talked to them and uh they they really wanted to meet him and uh but you know they're they're of course in their thirties by now, so they're not the you know the right. screaming teens. Um, so I walked back into the studio and I said, "Hey, Lan uh, hey uh, Joey, you got some fans outside." He's like, "What is there? Two people?" And I said, "No, there's three. He's like, "Yeah!" And then uh, <laughs> uh, he finished his interview and he went out and hung out with them for like ten minutes and took a bunch of pictures and they were all crying. It was awesome to see this guy who like had been one of the biggest stars in the world. Oh yeah, you know in the in the late nineties, early two thousands, and you know. He's still, I'm sure he's doing totally fine, um, but he took the time to to go out there and, and just hang out with these three right. three girls in their 30s that came to see him, you know, because they had been such fans as teenagers. It was it was cool. I mean, it's yeah, like it's on cool. a shitty city street and he's just hanging out, taking photos. It was <laughs> it was cool to see. Um, I feel bad that I don't have a good story about a former member of NSYNC to. God damn here. it, Cody! You're like, <laughs> yeah, Chris Kirkpatrick and I. Uh, <laughs> He fixed my muffler at one time. <laughs> I didn't know it was him. Uh, Jace, my my cousin dated J.C. Chazé. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so let's let's uh, move on here to our premise. Um, the idea mm -hmm. of the show, Corin Stream, is that uh, in this quarantine, we're all watching way more movies uh, than we normally have, and maybe there's a bunch of stuff that you haven't seen. You know, based across. Based on the fact there's all kinds of different streaming services. So, uh, Andy, you gave us some kind of tips on what kind of movies you like. Uh, so Cody and I came up with some recommendations for you to watch. And yes. um, to recap, Cody selected The Nice Guys. 
uh, Shane Black movie from 2017. Is that when it's from? 2016? Yes. Right? 2017. Uh, 2017. Set in the 70s. Or starring 16. Stars Ryan Gosling, uh, Russell Crowe. Um, sort of a crime caper. Not a crime caper, but like a, a detective. Like a noir. Kind of like a neo-noir. Yeah. Um, but comedic, obviously. Um, and then I suggested uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Which you informed us last episode, your favorite actor ever was Paul Newman. So, yes. I think without further ado, which movie did you pick, Andy? I chose Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, <laughs> it feels good to win, Cody. Um, sure. So you you said you hadn't actually seen this all the way through, which kind of surprised yeah. me. Yeah, it surprised me too. I don't know why. Uh, I do love Paul Newman. I'm a huge Cool Hand Luke fan. It's maybe my second favorite movie behind Jaws. You could even go one and one A. Um, and as legendary a movie that this is, for some reason, I just had never seen it from start to finish. You know, it's from 69. So uh, getting on in its years, but 51 years old. God. Yeah. And I don't know why I just never. It was one of those movies. I just felt like it was never on when I was in front of the TV or I never rented it. I just don't know why it got away from me. But I finally. Watched it from start to finish. And, and what did you think of it? To be honest, I was a little surprised at kind of the pacing of it. I liked it. I enjoyed it because I love Robert Redford and I love Paul Newman. And I love The Sting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a movie I've seen a lot, especially from growing up. And it, it always reminds me of my dad. He's got my, one of my dad's favorite movies. So I love them together. And the things that stood out to me was I loved their banter. It was really kind of a... Not darkly comic, but lighter than I thought it would be. Right. It's not really like a true Western, even though it's got that theme. But it's more of just like, yeah, it's like a buddy cop film almost. Yeah. And it's it's kind of, um, you know, it's got this vibe of being sort of on the cusp of change, I think. So it's right. not really a Western in, you know, the like I think we talked about last time, John Ford, like the searchers, stuff like that. It's not that sort of sure. epic, you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's not the Sergio Leone, I mean, not Sergio Leone, uh, what am I trying to say? The, uh, spaghetti Western style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, it's like a world on the cusp of change. Like, for example, a bicycle plays a big part in it and it was <laughs> yeah. never kind the of future. a future. Thi- What's that? The future. Oh, the future. Yeah. The future of a bicycle. And it was never like, you don't associate bicycles with, a um, with a Western. And then there's another scene where they're robbing a train uh, it's like the second train robbery they do, which is it's a great scene because they they end up like robbing the same banker, uh, yeah, Woodcock. Woodcock. Oh, Woodcock, is that you? And then this other train starts approaching, and they have <laughs> no idea what the hell's going on because it's a diesel train, and it's uh, spewing like the black gas or the black smoke, and the and like just a bunch of oil. So it's like another future thing, and that's where the the posse that's out to get them comes from yeah the yeah. unseen posse that you never like you never get yeah, a good true. look at them i didn't think of it that way um so it's it's uh they spend like half the movie running from this posse across the wherever they are uh in the west like monument valley looks like um and then they they end up heading to bolivia to sort of escape <laughs> and um that's where the the climax of the movie takes place and it's it's such an interesting end to the movie because it doesn't really uh you know it never really resolves itself it just sort of goes out guns blazing i mean almost quite literally yeah Um, literally and it's it's funny to think about how uh there's so much that this movie influenced and to go back and watch it now to see where it all came from it's it's kind of a trip to see that this movie that's 51 years old now is almost like it's that's got some really modern touches. Like, oh yeah! Like it feels like it could have been made, you know, ten years ago. Um, you know, obviously there's a there's a few like a Bert, the Burt Bacharach score is a little Bert, right, a little weird. The the raindrops keep falling on my head. Bicycle scene is a little drug induced in my opinion. <clears throat> but uh, the banter, the dialogue is something that I think really stands out to me. Definitely, absolutely. Uh, uh, and and uh, I just I I couldn't get over how well done it is and how how funny Paul Newman is and how funny and stoic uh, Redford is kind of playing the straight man to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, Newman was a good looking guy. God damn. And this is 
coming from a staunch heterosexual. I mean, <laughs> that blonde. It's something. He just wins you over with that smile, and you just go, "Oh, he's God damn it!" He crazy. is crazy. He is. Uh, I mean, he's still he still holds up today. I mean, he's just an old craggy guy, but man, he is such a handsome dude in this movie. And this is like this is the movie that made him a superstar at the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's not it's not hard to see why. I think. Um, but really, the script is is my my favorite part of this movie, and it's it's. By, I, I agree. I agree with that. By William Goldman, who won an Oscar for this, and also for All the President's Men, and did uh, one of my favorite movies from the eighties is uh, Princess Bride. Uh, he also wrote the book for that. Also rumored to have uh, been the ghostwriter for Goodwill Hunting. If you ever heard that rumor, ooh, I did not hear that. That, that the movie sucked, and they they brought Will and Goldman in as an und uh, an uncredited script doctor. That's hilarious. I have heard that about the script, but because it yeah. was like a uh, espionage, like CIA thing to start with. I did hear it went through like major changes, and then uh, ironically went on to win. Their best original screenplay. I still love that movie, even even if it's if it's all smoke and mirrors. But yeah, um, <clears throat> so this uh, this is uh, probably you mentioned the pacing. Did you feel like it was like different, like like faster pace than you expected? A little slower, actually. Really, but I I think that this is a very late, you know, sixty nine. That's a very 60s 70s pacing especially in the 70s that's that lot of uh there's a lot of movies like that that i feel are in no rush to go anywhere yeah and i'm fine with that to be honest like uh dog day afternoon always felt that way to me a lot of sydney lumet movies even serpago feels that way to me and i think lumet did that purposefully purposely but um it, it reminded me of that kind of style so I what because it like you said it doesn't really resolve itself it doesn't really have a true beginning right. you just kind of catch up with these guys at wherever they are in their life so you don't really have backstory mm-hmm. um, you just kind of learn about their reputations and then you know like you said they go out guns blazing so it I, I guess it resolves itself but I mean not um, yeah not in the traditional sense. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, that reminds me, um, <clears throat> our second ep- uh, an ep- couple episodes ago, we talked to actor Greg Sestero. I don't know if you know who he is from The Room. Absolutely. Um, he is a big Disney fan, uh, like a 60s Disney fan. And we watched, uh, on his recommendation, Swiss Family Robinson. And I think that movie's like two and a half hours long. Wasn't it, Cody? It was a long uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, it was like two hours and 15, I think, or something. I mean, two hours and, 20. And you mentioned, like, it wasn't in a hurry to go anywhere. And I think that was kind of the hallmark of those 60s. Like, even the family films. Like, this is a movie, yeah. ostensibly, you're taking a bunch of kids to. And God damn it, did it drag. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, that was that was just the style. Because I think uh, we also talked about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Uh, All right, yeah. Which has like a long soccer scene in the middle of it. I mean, it's just a, it's so long and it's so. If you even want to go even earlier, Paul Newman, I mean, look at the hustler is like two and a half plus and it really takes its time. This one is, I think just a hair under two hours. I think it's like an hour, an hour and 50 minutes. So it's. Yeah. Butch, I I remember looking, it was like, yeah, it was an hour 50. Yeah. So it's short by those standards. It's, it's funny how, um, and I didn't think it was as slow paced as maybe you did, but man, some of those other, some of those sixties movies you watch, like watching them now or even uh, later movies like uh, Donner's Superman. If you've seen that recently, it's so, it's so slow. It's so (laughs) incredibly slow and, and almost corny. Not even almost corny. It's definitely corny, but God, it's such a weird change in, in just a short amount of time as to how those things evolved. Cause even, you know, the 80s wasn't as slow paced as the 70s and so on and so on. But anyway, I'm digressing here. So you did like the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's uh, another win for me. So Cody and I are all tied up at four points apiece. Ooh, baby. Thank Barbara. you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, upon your recommendation, Andy, we watched a movie called Shot Caller, uh, 2007 right. crime drama. It was on Netflix. 17. Huh? 2017. That's what I said. You said seven. Oh, excuse me. 2017. Another point to Cody. Oh, fuck. I just lost all my points. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Sorry. 2017 uh, film. Nikolai Coster Waldo uh, from Game of Thrones. I hope I'm saying that right. 
played Jamie it. Lannister. Uh, John Barenthal, of course, played the Punisher. Uh, real, real stretch for Barenthal in this movie. I every, you know what? Every, every movie that I, every role I see John Barenthal in, I just feel like that's how he is all the time. <laughs> it has I, to be at this yeah, point. Yeah, he seems like an angry guy. Yeah, uh, and then uh, uh, Lake Bell also has a. a, a <laughs> I, I, what was she was in uh, comedy stuff, right? Like Children's yeah, Hospital. Yeah, a lot of yeah. comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Cody, what did you think of of uh, Shot Caller? Well, you know, uh, I think that um, I think that the movie has a stronger first half than it has second half because I think it, it starts to get a little derivative in the second half. Um, I think the so I I, I I and I and I found myself getting a little bit bored towards the middle and towards the end. I, I think that it's it's fine and I think it's okay. I think that it makes one major narrative mistake um, that really kind of is a big blow to the film for me, which is, I think that the back and forth that happens, um, and that, and that the story is not linear. I think that really hurts the movie. And I think for me, the reason because that is, is because I think there's such a big chasm between like who he is to start off and who he ends up being that it's, it's, it's really jarring to see them go back to back and forth because it's hard to see. I don't think the escalation happens naturally enough to where, um, it feels authentic to me in that way. And I think that it could have been fixed by just putting it in linear order and just seeing, you know, starting the movie off where he was and then having the car accident and then watching it lead into that rather than jumping back and forth. Because I think the gap was too big. The leaps, I, I don't think were convincing enough because he was two completely different people. And I don't know that it ever <laughs> merges or, or coalesces in that way. Uh, um, for, for Sorry, I should interrupt you. To, we should kind of explain the premise here a little bit. Sure. I think we kind of glossed over it. The idea is that uh, Nikolai Coster-Waldo's character is a like a, a some sort of businessman um, who by circumstance of, of kind of uh, anything that could easily happen to someone um, gets charged with a felony and goes to prison. Um, right. It, it has to do with a car crash and it's you could probably connect the dots there. And in order to survive in prison, he joins a white supremacist gang because his as his, you do. Well, his goal is to <laughs> to get out alive to his family, right? Um, you know, and and survive long enough to get out there. But in the process, he ends up getting kind of caught up in it. And by he whoops the, the daisies himself into a, a kingpin. Uh, he, <laughs> yeah, he turns out to be really good at being a white Aryan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Sorry. Continue on, Cody. That's kind of the premise. Yeah. So, I, so like I said, I, I think that because when you see him prior to his prison days, you see like he, it, you, it's hard to imagine how he got to where he was, and I don't know that it that it sh- that it does a great job of showing that. I think that I I, I liked the cast, you know, for. Yeah, you know, even though it's nothing different than he's ever done, John Barenthal is awesome and scary and and uh, and intense, just like he always is. Um, I really liked um, Emery Cohen, um, who I think yep. always kind of delivers a really solid performance in everything he does. Um, I think the first time I remember seeing him was in Brooklyn, which he was amazing in. Um, but he was great as Howie, the the war vet who um, kind of became. Um, the right-hand man of, of money. Um, I, I was a bit confused at, uh, and Jared, I told you this earlier, but there's a, there's a main character in the movie who is a parole officer who is somehow also like a badass, like hardened, like police officer. Like it, like it's, he's like a hardened detective, but he's a parole officer. It, it, <laughs> were yeah, you, was anyone else confused by that a little bit? I didn't quite understand what his role was. But yeah, he he's like the the PO for he set up as a PO and then he's also like working on this bigger sting. And I, I again, I don't know the how police departments work, but yeah, I was a little kind of confused as to why he was both things. Yeah, I, I, and, I yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, I, um, I, I'm, I. Uh, I I, just to wrap, I'm just sorry. Just to wrap it up, I, I didn't. I wouldn't say I hated the movie by any stretch, but um, I, I do think that it has some storytelling flaws. And I think towards towards the middle and towards uh, the 
the like the the third act i think it does become a, a little bit derivative of some other stuff and becomes less interesting because even though um even though i i don't think that the execution was as good as it could have been i think that the story of showing who he was before and how he was kind of forced to adapt into that situation i think that is interesting in and of itself i just think that once he becomes who he becomes it becomes less interesting i i kind of disagree with you a little bit on the change because I feel like the movie plays it as kind of a long con. And I I don't, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, this sort of, um, uh, you know, telegraphed move by him to, to end up in this position, but there's, there's several instances in the film where he's clearly not invested in this gang thing as he's the, this kingpin leader guy. Uh, because he's working to kind of, uh, again, still protect his family when it all comes down to it. So, yeah, I can I get how you can see, like, he's not the same guy that went in. And I think that's sort of the point is that, you know, that, that this is the it's the it's a point that it's making about prison. I think that, you know, it's not necessarily rehabilitating these guys. It's just turning them into like monsters that fight each other. And I think he's. He's a little. I, I see a little bit of Walter White in there. Breaking Bad, definitely, Walter White, definitely. Just sort of this scheming that that happens, and then it, his plan, while not as elegant as like a Walter White in Breaking Bad, or not probably maybe not as preposterous as some of the Breaking Bad stuff. He's he's very clearly working toward other means as opposed to being the gang leader, and I thought that was an interesting take on it because it was, you know, he's 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 still essentially the same guy. Uh, he just the the circumstances he went to through to survive changed him sort of outwardly, but inside he he ends up as the same guy. And I, I do agree. There are some some things that that I think it probably would have played better as a linear story because um, I don't know that it really served any sort of purpose to see him, um, you know, all, I, I don't mind the flashbacks, but I, I think maybe there's a few too many. Well, I think it, it, I, I just think that the descent is it doesn't seem I think that that story needs to be a slow descent into that and it's hard to do that when you keep jumping back and forth in yeah my I, I did sort of like the I liked the uh like John Barenthal is crazy scary like I like I said I think <laughs> I feel like John Barenthal is always who he's playing uh um, yeah like he's a, just a like in in the beginning of the film or the beginning of his prison sentence he's sort of bossing uh um uh, what's his name jacob around uh jacob harlan who's the character nikolai Walter walter costa plays and then the tables turn and he's in charge of him uh by the end of the by the time he's out in and, and mm-hmm. as a kingpin and then he's he kind of uses him as a as a patsy for for all this other stuff uh, i don't know that the police stuff ever really kind of came together um <clears throat> you know the the uh benjamin bratt it really doesn't have anything to do, and I don't quite understand. Uh, Omar Hardwick, Omari Hardwick, is the the parole officer again. That's a confusing element. I don't know why the parole officer is also at the major weapons busts and all this other shit. But <laughs> um, overall, I mean, it, it's actually kind of surprising that this film slipped under the radar. In, That's what I always thought in 2017, especially with uh, with. Uh, Game of With Thrones, fucking, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the peak of Game of Thrones, and Jamie Lannister is in this crime film, and it just sort of came and went. It does have a pretty great cast. Uh, yeah, that's kind of <coughs> how I felt. Sorry to cut you off. There. No, no, no. Uh, and there's like a, a small role for uh, uh, Max Greenfield, who of course was on yep. New Girl at the time. Um, yeah, I, it's again surprising. This the director uh, Rick Roman Raw. Oh, excuse me, Rick Roman Wa. Rick Roman Raw <laughs> sounds way cooler. Uh, he's he did uh, the uh, Angel is Fallen. That's his latest movie. He did the the latest in that series. So mm. he looks oh, like he's McElhaney is in there too. He's a guy who kind of flies under the radar too. Who is that? Uh, he was the Beast in Shot Caller. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh uh, and, uh, yeah. I guess he's been in that show Mindhunter recently. Yeah. But he's, he's great like a in that guy show. who's yeah. great and he's kind of like John Bernthal. Where you're like, I always get what I expect out of that guy. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? Yeah. I met. Um, Oh shit! Who's the guy from um, uh, Walking Dead? Um, Ryan something. What the fuck is that guy's name? Ah shit! Not I read John him. Barenthal. No, not John Barenthal, but uh, no, I'm sorry, not uh, not uh, Walking Dead, but uh, Sons of Anarchy. 
Um, uh, Charlie Hunnam? Oh, Ron Perlman? No, no, not Ron Perlman. I, I did meet God Ron God damn, we're Perlman, just going to keep guessing names all it's day. It's Ryan something. Um, fuck. Um, <laughs> anyway, he's he's like adopted the whole biker persona after being on that show. Uh, oh, hilarious. Um, but he looks like a scary dude, but he's like... Uh, Anyway, I'm, so I'm, I, I'm curious to know, Andy, a little bit more about what what led you to to recommending this and, and kind of what <laughs> stuck out for you when you watched it. Sorry, Ryan Hurst. Before I forget, Ryan Hurst. Uh, he Hurst. was in Saving Private Ryan, uh, Saved by the Bell, the new class. And then when he uh, started working on Sons of Anarchy, Opie was the character's name in Sons of Anarchy. I never watched Sons oh, of Anarchy, okay. but he was apparently a very popular character. And he's now he just looks like a biker. Sorry. Go ahead. Cody. Hilarious. Uh there wasn't too well. We were going back and forth trying to, uh, you know, decide what to watch here. I had just come off that, and it was just one of the things that you were like, "Oh, what did you watch recently?" And I just watched it, and I just thought it was a good Netflix find for the quarantine. I don't think it's the greatest movie I've ever seen. I thought it was entertaining, and especially what you said, Gerard, uh, the cast is good, and I'm surprised that it went kind of under the radar. That being said, I mean, yeah, it was just really enjoyable. And I had an idea that I thought maybe one of you guys was going to – we were going to do maybe a prison movie. So because <laughs> uh, I think Cool Hand Luke got tossed around. So I was like, oh, well, if we do Cool Hand Luke, we uh, can yeah. do the shot caller because that's kind of, you know, prison chain gang movies. Ha- so that might have been why. But uh, I hope you guys didn't hate it. No, I, I, I mean – Far from hated, I, I thought it was. I I, I liked it. I, I I do think there's a few problems. I think it's probably the sure. uh, the idea that it's not you know the best written thing out there. But I, I was very surprised by it because you know usually I was that- into it the whole time. I, I can't really say you know like I was sitting there watching it by myself and I went all right. That was a good find. Yeah, usually a Netflix find is is very very hit or miss and mostly miss when it comes to movies. <laughs> right, and they're getting thin during these uh, stay at home <laughs> times. Yeah, I mean, I'm really struggling to find something new here. I, I, again, like I said, I can't believe this movie kind of flew under the radar because it seems like yeah. this is something, you know, like a mid level uh, kind of crime thriller. Uh, I mean, bloody as fuck. Uh, yeah, it had good violence. And yeah, good that, cast that stars. You know, one of the stars of the of the time, the biggest TV show, and it just sort of came and went with no real fanfare. I, I'm really, really kind of shocked that that happened. But um, have you guys ever seen um, the Place Beyond the Pines? I have not. Yeah. Oh, then my I, next question: Have you, Cody? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Did you notice that it was the same the kid who drove? Uh, Nicholas Walder, whatever his name is, around was the kid from uh, Place Beyond the Pines. That was like a thing I love doing oh. in movies. Like, where do I know that guy from? And I finally put it together after like an Emory, hour of racking my brain. Emory yeah, Cohen. Emory Cohen. Yeah. Wow. Um, God, Emory I did Cohen. not. I, did not I realize that. Oh, I didn't even realize that's who we were talking about. Yeah, I really liked his uh, his role in Shot Caller because he's kind of like the reluctant gang member mm-hmm. uh, who you know he doesn't even give a shit. Uh, but he just sort of is in that life because he got associated with John Berenthal's character by virtue yeah. of, of being like, that was kind of a cool story. Yeah. I, I liked that. I liked that backstory and I liked that he kind of got a little redemption I, at the end. I think that's the yeah. best relationship in the movie is between, um, is between Emery Cohen and Nikolai Coster Waldo. I think that is the most yeah, like, so effective. Good with his name. <laughs> I've been practicing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I yeah. never tried. <laughs> oh, also, by the way, if you're looking for a good, this is a, a, irrelevant, but if you're looking for a good prison movie, uh, there's a movie called Startup. Have you ever seen that? Ooh, no. So it's a British movie by David McKenzie, who directed uh, Hell or High Water. Um, oh, I love Hell or High Water. Yeah, yeah. So it's a British movie with um, with uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who is one of my favorite actors. I period. love Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, What's so it called it's, again? It's called Starred Up. Um, Ooh, so basically tonight's movie on the head <laughs> it's so basically what just the premise of the movie is um it, it's i think the kid in it is jack o'connell if i'm not mistaken um and jack o'connell's character is like 17 years old and he gets sent into the adult prison and um 
and his father is like runs the prison. So he was estranged from his father. He goes into the same prison his father is in. And his father is basically like, you better follow the rules so you can get out of here. And he can't help himself but like, <laughs> you know, start shit up. And so basically he gets into like a program for early release where he goes into like group counseling sessions and, and they argue over that. It's, it's really, really, really good. That sounds pretty nice. It's uh, it's, so it's it's not on Netflix, but it is free uh on Tubi. You know it's on Netflix, is it? Yeah. Are, are you sure? I watched it recently. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at I just watch the other com. options, just in case. Oh, sorry. Anyway, I, it, it's also on some free services too. So Never yeah, mind. but it it looks like it's on Netflix Prime, uh, Amazon Prime, and then um something called Hoopla as well. What is Hoopla? I love Ben Mendelsohn, man. I really enjoy him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's he's one of those that's like consistently great in everything, but also yeah. the poor guy can't catch a break in playing a good guy, <laughs> except for maybe like Captain Marvel. <laughs> but uh, he's caked oh, but he's in un- makeup, so you yeah, can't even tell. Under like a you know a goblin mask, basically. Yeah, cool. He uh, was uh, he's kind of he's a pretty good guy in uh, the most recent thing. Oh, on um, HBO. Yeah, oh, the uh, Outsider. The Outsider. Yeah. Wasn't he? Uh, uh, Oh shit. I forget. Never mind. I'm thinking of something else. Uh he was in uh uh Ready Player One, but he was the bad guy. So <laughs> I, I got confused. I got confused. Uh cool. So yeah, we uh, so I guess we'd say it was it was worth our time to watch um All right, Shot good. Caller. Um yeah, I think we we had kind of the same general issues with it, just not, you know, it's not a great film, but it it was an enjoyable way to pass the time and I was I was interested throughout. So uh, Same. Cool. Uh, well, thanks, Andy. That uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Uh, you can catch Andy on the Raw Report on Sirius XM Radio. That's Thursdays. What time does that air? Four p.m. East. Four p.m. East. And everything's on demand if you miss it live. And then uh, you've got uh, Defend Your Movie with comedian Sean Donnelly, uh, baby-faced yeah. uh, Sean Donnelly now. <laughs> Um, you do, you're trying to do two episodes a week, you said, at least yeah, one. Yeah, we've been doing, uh, two quarantine episodes a week, so at least, every episode's bare minimum every Friday. Cool. Um, so we've got two other podcasts here, movie-related. Uh, we have our flagship, The Cinesnob Podcast, with Cody and I reviewing, right now we're reviewing VOD movies, which has been a crazy mixed bag of stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've watched any premium VOD stuff, Andy, like any of the, the rentals. Yeah, I actually (laughs) got my cable bill in the mail the other day and went, oh, I watched a few of those. What did you watch? (laughs) Anything that struck? I just had my, um, I watched most of the stuff that I just didn't get to see in the theater. Oh, like Um, Invisible Man and uh, The Hunt and Bloodshot? No, not, oh, geez, my memory is so rotten lately. I think I'm getting quarantine mush brain or something. (laughs) (laughs) My short-term memory is just gone. Um. Shoot, what did I... I watched Queen and Slim. I bought that one. That oh, was good. okay. Um, I'm just... I don't want to take up dead air. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It, there's nothing. There's nothing. I mean, but I have been using that feature more since I've been at home. Oh, yeah. For sure. We watched... Um, God, we watched uh, The Hunt. We talked about The I mean, we talk about something every week, but uh, we just watched Arkansas... Uh, I don't know if you're going to be tempted by that one. That's a crime drama by, uh, or like a crime comedy from uh, uh, Clark Duke, which we didn't okay. we didn't really care for. But I- I've seen good reviews for it out there, which is kind of mind boggling because neither Cody or I really cared for it. But <laughs> it's kind of like a Tarantino uh, uh, Coen Brothers mashup. Interesting. Um, Except from- for like like twenty percent of what you would get quality wise. Your your mileage may vary, right, but right, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, can't believe we didn't talk about the Coens this whole time. What's that? I can't believe the Coens is the first time they've came up the whole time. I know. Oh, it's I weird, know. right? We we both love Well, them, you so. know what it is? It's when they the, – it's hard for me to pick one of their – when everybody's go, what are your favorite movies? I go, well, all the Coens, but I can't – it's hard for me to pick one. Sometimes it's Raising Arizona. Sometimes it's Fargo. Sometimes it's Lebowski. Sometimes yeah. it's Miller's Crossing. It's too hard. They're just the best. Shit, yeah. and that's not even counting for my favorite, which is Inside Lewin Davis, which is – just wow. a totally different left field turn for them, but still equally as great. I mean, it's yeah, still, I gotta it's, give that one another watch. I only watched that one the one time, and I did like two other movies. I kind of forgot stuff. about it too. Uh, yeah, there was when we were recapping our top ten of the decade a few weeks ago. Well, shit, months ago now. I'd forgotten about that movie and the other Oscar Isaac movie. Uh, what is it, Gangster something? 
What was that oh, one called, uh, Cody? A Most Violent Year? A most, most Violent, violent year. year. That's a that fucking movie was great and I totally yeah, forgot it existed. Good. Uh yeah, anyway, so you can uh, listen to us on the Cinesnob podcast. Also, we have a podcast called ReMCU where we are rewatching the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe films and uh kind of talking about them, looking at them from a longer lens. Uh we just did an episode uh on Iron Man 3 with comedian Jerry Rocha. Uh he loves Iron Man 3. We didn't so much, but <laughs> um, he had a good reason for loving it. So, uh, also, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Cody, you uh, have another podcast or two. Yeah, right? yeah, oh, I right. have um, the Ramble, and also offshoots of that are Ramble Radio. Those air every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Those are with uh, comedians Jerry Rocha and Eddie Pence, and me, non-comedian. Oh come on, Cody! Don't don't sell yourself short. <laughs> <laughs> You're, uh, yeah. Classic Cody. <laughs> and then, uh, um, uh, you can find my, uh, my store, my, uh, columns in the hardtimes.net. Uh, that's the, uh, punk rock satire site. So, uh, don't ever take it seriously. If your mom shares an article from that on Facebook, let her know that it's fake. Can I ask what, what, what's punk rock about it compared to The Onion? Well, it's, it started as a punk rock parody. It's, it's gotcha. really branched out into more like, uh, general, general parody or general satire but mm-hmm. it started as like very punk and music centric gotcha okay but you know i don't i really... just remember starting to see them pop up way more prominently when people were sharing those satirical news stories and yeah they've gone they they've, from. they've really spread uh kind of mainstream uh topics now which is the stuff i've written is about the simpsons and shit like that so uh again andy thanks very much for joining us this was a lot of fun yeah, it was uh, my pleasure. I had a great time, guys. Thank you for having me. Cool. Uh, so on that note, I'm Jared Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania. <laughs>